think I might be on. There it is. Very good. Well, uh, if you are visiting with us, thanks for making us part of your Sunday morning. My name is Jeremy, and uh, I'm the senior minister here at South Union. And uh, I'm excited you've joined us for our final week of our series called Let's Talk About It. We've spent the past three weeks uh, just having a sit-down conversation about things that uh, maybe needed just a little bit more context and conversation uh, in regards to things that we are familiar with as people who follow Jesus and people who are part of a church, uh, but maybe needed to be just kind of uh, taken a closer look into. And if you're visiting with us um, over the past few weeks, you've heard me say often and uh, multiple times that uh, this series might feel like I'm not necessarily talking to you, but rather the people that are here in the church. And you would be correct in uh, kind of stating that, that uh, we are taking a look at some of the things that matter most to us as a church and some things that need to be looked at uh, and maybe evaluated for us as we move forward uh, in this school year and in the next season of ministry here at at South Union. So if you're with us, thanks for being with us, and I think it will be beneficial for you to be in the room because you'll get uh, a better picture as to what we're about, what we want to be about, who we are, and what we're looking uh, to do as people who follow Jesus. Uh, and if you are a longtime attending member or person that's come here, thanks for being here over these past three weeks. And if you missed last week, uh, you should go online and listen to Jackie's uh, teaching time because she just nailed it. Uh, so if you see her, make sure to give her her kudos because she did a fantastic job. So uh, we are in week number four of Let's Talk About It. And I want to start this morning by talking to you uh, about something from the past, something that maybe some of you were uh, not even aware of, or maybe some of you this hits all of the right spots in your heart and on your mind. In the early 90s, there was uh, a gaming system called the Nintendo System. And they had this thing that came out just about a year after they released the Nintendo Entertainment System called the Game Genie. How many of you know what a Game Genie is? Raise your hand if you know what a Game Genie is. Okay, the people that have their hands raised, you don't want to be friends with these people. All right, here's what the Game Genie was. Now, some of you are like, Jeremy, I was too busy raising kids and buying these things. I didn't play with them in the 90s, right? And some of you that know what this is, maybe you have declined to share that you use these because a Game Genie was this. It was created in the 90s and it was essentially uh, this device that if you wanted to use cheat codes or hacks in your games on your Nintendo Entertainment System, you would plug your Nintendo game into it underneath the, uh, the little black part of the, of the device and then you would plug the Game Genie into your Nintendo and then if you had a certain code, it would help you unlock all the different hacks and cheat codes available for that game. Do you understand now why I said you probably don't want to be friends with those people that know exactly what a game genie is, right? Uh, and so I remember when, when we were growing up, there were kids that would talk about how they got to the last level of games. And I would be like, what kind of wizardry are you using that you like? Four days after having this game comes out, you are at the end level of this game. Well, he had a game genie, right? They knew what they were doing. I'm still fully believing that this is why Samantha Kerr is so good at GoldenEye because she had some form of the game genie uh, to cheat in that game. So you can talk to her about that. Maybe she'll confess. 
uh, for that as well. But it was a massive success because it made gaming, or what this new system was, it made it very, very easy to play and to win and to be able to get from the first level to the last level when everyone else was struggling. In fact, Nintendo even sued the company that created this because they said that they were ruining the gaming experience the way that they had created them. People who were fans of, fans of it said that it was good because you didn't, uh, you didn't need as much time and you didn't have to have as much knowledge and you didn't need as, as many skills and you could still kind of get everything out of the gaming experience whenever you had it. How many of you growing up, or if you had kids that you raised in the 90s, how many of you had the original Nintendo system in your house? Raise your hand if that was, that was you. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. How many, of you, how many of you are too old to have had a Nintendo in your house? It was before televisions. You did not have all that. That's fine. Welcome to it as well. That's fine. But people complain that, listen, if, if people are, are using this game genie, then they're missing out. But people that loved it, they said, I don't have to spend as much time. I can just kind of skip my way through some levels that are too difficult. I don't, I don't have to have as much knowledge of the game, and I don't have to necessarily be as good as everybody else to be able to get the full experience. And then the people that hated it and were completely opposed to it, they argued that you aren't getting the full experience because it's supposed to be challenging. That's why the game is enjoyable, because it's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to not be easy. And you're supposed to spend the time playing the game. You're supposed to spend hours playing it, and you're supposed to actually know the details of the game, and you're actually supposed to be getting good at playing the game. And when you do all those things, that's how you actually truly experience the beauty of the games that you're going to play. So by cheating your way through it or finding an easy way out, you're missing out on what was actually supposed to be happening and the design of it. And if you allow me to take maybe a little bit of a, of a hard turn here for a second, let me read something from Matthew chapter 7. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. People who are following after God, he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate? And difficult is the road that leads to life, and few find it. The road to destruction is wide, and the gate is broad, and everybody goes through it, or a lot of people go through it. But the road that leads to life, well, it's pretty narrow, and few find it. See, this morning as we end our series, Let's Talk About It, I want to talk about very, uh, very openly and very candidly for those of us that follow Jesus, I want to just have a discussion and maybe present to you this morning that maybe, just maybe, over the past 20 or 30 years in the Western church, maybe we have, either intentionally or unintentionally, we have created a game genie version of following after Jesus. Maybe we have created a thing that allows us to have some shortcuts that will make us not have to spend as much time or go through the challenging things or have experiences that we're missing out on that in fact we were supposed to experience that we were supposed to go through because that is in fact how it was designed to be experienced that maybe we have created a game genie version of faith that has made us miss out on a few things you see and 
in a, a conference that I was listening to online from a, a pastor in the West Coast named John Mark Comer. He said this. He says that the problem with the Western church and the challenge that, uh, that happens in churches today when it comes to discipleship and, and people growing in their faith is that the gospel has been preached over the past 20 years in such a way that you could become a Christian without becoming a disciple of Jesus. The problem with preaching and the problem with the church over the past 20 or 30 years is that you could become a Christian but not become a disciple of Jesus. Because being a Christian has meant I pray a prayer, I come to church, I check off a few boxes, I die and I go to heaven. And that's what... That's what Christianity or being a Christian has looked like and has been presented for a very long time. And is, is that incorrect or is it false? Well, no, there are parts of that that are correct and are accurate for what it means to follow after Jesus. But the fact that most people who are not followers of Jesus only know that to be the descriptor, according to research, when they're asked, what would you say to describe someone who is a follower of Jesus or a Christian? That's what they would list out as things. means that somewhere, somewhere we've missed something. We've missed a call or an understanding or the knowledge of what it is that we are supposed to go through. Because being a Christian is not what we have been called to do by Jesus. Insert amen. Being a Christian is not what we have been called to do by Jesus. Not pray a prayer, come to church, die and go to heaven. And maybe you think, I don't know, Jeremy. Well, let me quote somebody you might have heard of. His name is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28. If you want to read with me, you can. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. It says this, and if you've been with us over the past few weeks, or if you've been in church for probably any amount of time, you've read this passage because we read it in week one. It's, in fact, where we get our mission statement from and our vision as a church, and it's where we derive some of our values as a church as well. It says this, Matthew chapter 28. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came near and said to them, just for everyone, so we're all on the same page together this morning. What does your Bible say? Who said these next words? Five gold stars for you. Well done. Jesus is the correct answer. He always is. Nice job. Well done. Jesus said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus' final instructions to us were not be a Christian. In fact, it's not until the book of Acts that in a derogatory way, people who follow Jesus are called Christians. They're first called followers of the way, and then they're called Christians, but not in a kind way. But in fact, Jesus has asked us to not only be disciples, but to be people who make disciples, other people that follow Jesus. And let me just stop here for a second, and let's talk about this. 
we are now at this point in the morning where you're going to decide, I've heard this before, I'm good. Or, I've heard this before, have I missed something? And right now you get to decide which camp you're going to sit in for the rest of the time that we look at this. I've heard this before and I'm good. I've heard this before, did I miss something? And you get to operate in one of those two camps this morning and I'll let you decide what that is before we move on. So. Decide now whichever one it is. I won't make you get up and pick a side of the room, but just emotionally and mentally pick a side that you're going to be on this morning, and, and now we'll move, move forward in operating this. There are two parts to this great commission. There's what you've probably grown up and known as. Uh, you've probably heard these two words. There's the evangelism part, and there's the discipleship part. Evangelism is the baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which to them was meaning they made a spiritual decision to commit their life to Christ. And when they did that, you were to baptize them. And then the other side of that coin or the other part of this commission you probably have heard growing up in church is discipleship, which is the teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The great commission that we get is two-sided. It's two sides of a coin. You can't have one and forget about the other. And one can't be more important than the other. A professor of mine in Bible college once told me that discipleship and evangelism that come from the Great Commission are the currency of the kingdom. And they're on both sides of the coin. And you can't spend the coin if both sides aren't present and valid. Discipleship and evangelism, the Great Commission, is the currency of the kingdom, and it's what we spend, and it's what's valuable, and it's what our command is as people who choose to follow after Jesus. They're on the same coin. They're on two different sides of it. And may I just point out for a second here, because I think that, I think that we forget, or maybe we don't talk about this portion of it. Uh, verse 17, before we get to this. I just, I want to point this out because it's a reminder to me every time I read this great commission. It says this, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. They saw him, because for some of them, do you remember the last time they saw him? Arrested and crucified and dead. And they saw him and they worshipped him, and some doubted. And then look what verse 18 says. Jesus came near to only those who believed. Nope. Jesus came near to them. The people that worshipped and the people that doubted. Jesus came near to all of them and gave them these instructions. So if you find yourself in the room this morning and you're just visiting or you've been a part of a church and you're not doing the church thing or you've walked away from your faith or you have doubts about the spiritual things that are going on in your life, uh, you are not excluded from this conversation because Jesus doesn't exclude the people who doubted during that time. And we don't exclude you from anything that's happening here because you have doubts in your faith as well. So welcome to life here at South Union. We want you to be a part of it. Doubts, confusions, questions, and all. So let's talk about it. There's a chance that the church in America and the Western church in general has been okay with the easier version of following Jesus for a very long time. And if, I'm just going to put all my cards that I have to, to set them down on the table. I think what happened during the pandemic 
showed and revealed everything about what happened and, and that confirmed that we made an easier way of following Jesus. And then when things got really difficult, we're like, oh, I must not have been doing this right or this must all be fake or I must have been wrong about all of this because I've been doing the easy version of it and now it's challenging and difficult. So something must be wrong. And because we've been doing this game genie version or the easier version of following Jesus, of just saying a prayer, coming to church, checking a few boxes, and then dying and getting to spend eternity with Jesus, all great benefits and great things to do. Because we've been okay with the easier version of following Jesus, now we have generations of people that are okay with being Christians and have zero interest in being disciples of Jesus. No interest in actually following after and fulfilling the Great Commission and being disciples of Jesus because we've been okay with the easier version for a long time. It's because of this that we have generations of people that don't know how to spin the kingdom currency of evangelism and discipleship. Right? They don't actually know how to do it. If I handed you a napkin and I said, share the gospel with me on this napkin, we have generations of people that don't know how to do it. We have people who don't know how to do anything when it comes to evangelizing or building a disciple. And if you're in the room, you're like, well, you are speaking directly to me. I'm not saying anything out of guilt or shame or to make you feel bad. I'm just letting everyone know this is where we are kind of as a church as a whole because we've been okay with something for a long time that we should never have been okay with. In fact, most people are panicked when they think about what it would take to either share their faith or commit to the process of discipling someone to get to know Jesus. You know how I know that? Because I sit across from tables where I have to talk through people having literal anxiety attacks or bordering those when you try to get them to talk about their faith with people or to disciple someone, or what to talk about to evangelize. We have a generation of people that literally just get panicked when they think about it because we've been okay with another version of following Jesus than what Jesus laid out for us right before he left the earth. And unfortunately, we have generations of people that just think that the pastor of the church that I go to or the church staff of the church that I go to, they will be the ones that will disciple and will evangelize my friends. And so because of all of these reasons, for all of these things, we have a group of people, a generations of people that don't necessarily know what's going on. And listen, one of my professors in Bible college, he told me, he said, Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission, and he didn't call it the Great Suggestion. And I remember as a 19-year-old sitting in college and thinking, well, that's just snarky enough that I'll probably remember that for the rest of my life. And I think that we have maybe transformed it into the great suggestion instead of the great commission that the God who put the stars in the sky, that Jesus who walked on water and caused people who couldn't walk to walk and turn water into wine and looks at all of my sins and all of my ugliness and is willing to forgive me of those things and gives me hope and joy and peace in situations where none of those are available, that same God 
has commissioned me, has given me authority, and has given me the presence of his spirit to say, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey what I've commanded you. You see, through this process, through living out the Great Commission, through being a disciple of Jesus, it's through this process that we become disciples ourselves and we also make disciples as well. If you look back when Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, he says this. He looks, at, he looks at Simon, Peter, and he looks at Andrew, and he looks at me and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will have you catch people instead of the fish that you're searching for right now. And from the beginning of that time to the time that he leaves the earth, he shows them how to be people that catch people, make disciples, not just people who are Christians. So here we are. What do we do? If you've picked the camp that you're like, Jeremy, uh, I've heard this before and I'm good, then in just a few minutes we're going to take communion and that will be the next time you'll probably be interested in what I have to say. And that's okay if that's where you're at. But if you're in the camp of, I've heard this before, did I miss anything? Let me just offer a few suggestions because I want to be practical as we wrap up our series. Let's talk about it, right? The discipleship making process, us making ourselves disciples that follow Jesus closer and other people in our lives disciples of Jesus. That process comes from what I would call spiritual CPR. So if you're looking for like, Jeremy, I want to do this. How do I do this? I don't want to be panicked when I think about this. How can I actually do this on a regular basis because I want people to know who Jesus is. He's changed my life. How do I actually do this? What do I need to actually do? I would suggest to you that maybe the starting spot would be for you to consider or to Learn this process of what, what, what's called spiritual CPR. And the, the acronym in a very small font uh, uh, up here uh, is spiritual CPR. is cultivate a relationship, plant spiritual truth, and ready yourself. Spiritual CPR. Cultivate a relationship, plant spiritual truth, and ready yourself. If you have someone in your life and you want to fulfill the Great Commission by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded you. May I suggest starting this process of spiritual CPR. And here's what, here's what they mean. The, the first one, the C in CPR, is cultivate a relationship. And here's what that means. Become genuine friends with someone by spending time with them and knowing their life. You can go and put that next one up there. Cultivate relationships with people by becoming genuine friends with someone, by spending time with them and knowing their life. Not because they're a project, but because they're people. They are created in the image of God. Become friends with them. Get to know them. Be involved in their life. Now, a little, little side note here. This gets a little sticky. And people who are more religious in nature and care about how things look will get a little critical of you whenever this happens. Do you know how I know this? Because it happened to Jesus all the time. 
Jesus met people where they were and never asked them to leave where they were to come to him. He went to them where they were, both physically and spiritually. And that's what you have to do when you cultivate a relationship. I'm going to where you are, where you exist, and I'm going to be friends with you. I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to know you and know your life. The second one is this. After you've cultivated a relationship, plant spiritual truths. This is the P of CPR, plant spiritual truths. You speak spiritual truths and encouragements. You be vulnerable with your faith stories. And prayers are always coupled with actions that serve people. <laughs> There's a running joke in the group of people that my wife works with because they have experienced in negative ways uh, some of the things that Christians have done. And they have a joke called T's and P's, which is thoughts and prayers. And they say it jokingly because their experience as Christians is that the only thing that Christians will do is they will just say that I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you, but they will never actually do anything. So we plant spiritual truths by speaking scripture to them and encouragement to them. We tell our stories, our testimonies in a vulnerable way where they can see that your faith matters to you. And then every time you want to utter the phrase, I will pray for you, it should always be accompanied with something that you're going to do as well. And Jesus did this. Every time he went to meet a spiritual need, he met a physical need. You have a spiritual hunger? Well, here's this food first. You have the physical need you can't walk? Well, let me physically heal you, and here's some spiritual truths so that you can learn to walk spiritually. We speak spiritual truths and encouragements. We tell vulnerable faith stories about our struggles and our challenges. And then our prayers that we pray for people, when we, we talk about those, how we want to pray for people, they're always coupled with actions that serve. And finally, the R is ready yourself. Clearly present the gospel and ask for a response and then be ready to investigate each response. So after you've cultivated a relationship, after you've planted spiritual truths, and after a long time, present the gospel to them, the good news of Jesus, and then ask them for their response. That's the catch in this one. As most of us are okay with living out our faith and every once in a while using words. Thanks. No, I live out my faith. And then I ask for a response. What do you think about Jesus and what I've just shared with you? Where are you at with all this? Do you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? And then whatever their response is, be ready to investigate it with them. The best answer you could probably give to someone on their response is, ready? I don't know. Let's find out together. I think I might be ready to believe, but I just have this one question. What about this? You know what? I don't know, but let's find out together. Let's look into it together. See, 
CPR is a, is a last effort, last ditch effort measure to save someone's life, right? It's the last thing that we're doing because someone's life is going to end if no one steps in and intervenes. And the same steps that I just listed off for you as spiritual CPR is the chance for you to step in and intervene, to offer them life to the fullest, not only in eternity, but life to the fullest here on earth because the hope and the joy and the peace and the comfort and the community and all the things that you're experiencing right now with following Jesus, you're offering that to them through knowing Jesus in the same way that you're offering them eternity in heaven when you offer them Jesus. And if we're being real honest, Jesus offered us a spiritual CPR at the end of his life when he chose to die on a cross for our sins, that he came near to us, he spoke spiritual truths, and then he was ready to respond and to take action whenever he needed to. And for us, we know that that means he laid down his life on a cross and he was the perfect sacrifice that our sins and all the things that we've done wrong, our nature that we have, all the things that we're guilty of, all the things we hope no one finds out about us, Forgiveness is extended because of Jesus' response to us. And every Sunday morning here at South Union, we spend a few moments in response to the good news of Jesus by taking communion together, by giving of our tithes and offerings in the giving boxes that are up here or the, the giving boxes that are back there on the wall, by offering you the time to be able to spend some time up here in the altar with prayer or finding someone in the room that you might need to pray with. And then we respond together as a church by singing of songs and worship. Because when someone saves your life, the only natural response is gratefulness and thankfulness. And that's why we thank Jesus every Sunday. Because not only has he saved our life for eternity, but he has given us new life here now on this earth. So who's the person that maybe you need to consider starting that friendship or relationship with? And Maybe for you, it's not a person, but maybe you have decided you want the okay version of Christianity. And maybe for you this morning, it's a consideration of, will you stop being a Christian and start being a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Let's pray together. God, this morning, we take these few moments to simply respond to you, to say thank you for your word. To say thank you that you love us enough that you promised that not only would you give us the authority to go, but that you would go along with us because you know we wouldn't be able to do it by ourselves. So we give you these next few moments as worship to you, as response to you and your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love for us. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.